Glory to God. Kurandariya shia handaya sikiri andaya. Kurandariya shia handaya dabosia handaya. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, it is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord, saith God. It is a good thing to give thanks to your almighty God. Thanksgiving always renders an increase. It always renders a multiplying. It always renders a, a increase and a, uh, insurmountable <laughs> defense from the works of darkness, says the Lord. Thanksgiving is a shield. It provides a shield from the onslaught of the enemy, saith the Lord. Those who are not thankful do not get much and they cannot protect what they think they have, says the Lord. An ungrateful heart turns everything sour, tells, turns everything distasteful, says the Spirit of God. But a thankful heart and a continual expression of thanksgiving brings increase, multiplies, opens the door for more, and becomes a protection against the onslaught of the wicked one, says the Lord. So even in your mind, make yourself thankful. Your thoughts, let them be full of thanksgiving. Let your heart be full of thanksgiving. A humble heart is a thankful heart, says the Spirit of God. A humble heart is a thankful heart, says the Spirit of the living God. Be thankful for things seen and unseen. Thankful for the things of the Spirit. Thankful for the things that you have not received yet. Thankful for all. And thankful in all, says the Lord. And surely blessing and increase, protection, escape, all of the gifts of the Spirit, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding will flow into your life, will flow into your heart, will flow into your soul, and will flow from your lips. If you remain thankful unto me, says the Spirit of the living God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Kurandariya shia handaya. Kuratashia handaya. With long life I satisfy the thankful. And I give them good quality of life, says the Lord. Good quality of life, says the Lord. Those who did not thank me died in the wilderness, says the Lord, never ever entering in, never seeing anything, but that is not you, says the Lord. So open up your mouth in thanksgiving. Let your heart express what it wants to express toward me, says the Lord, and you will see circumstances rapidly change in your favor, says the Spirit of the living God. Thank you, Lord. Rapidly change in your favor. Rapidly change in your favor. Rapidly, rapidly, rapidly change in your favor. Just try it, says the Lord. Try thanking me instead of complaining. Try thanking me instead of looking on the dark side and the downside. Let thanksgiving always be on your lips, says the Lord. And goodness and mercy will be yours forever, says the Spirit of the living God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. 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 We serve a good God. You know, it's the simple things. Like, like, uh, 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 the prophet told Naaman, 
you know, to go <laughs> jump in the lake <laughs> three times, seven times, whatever it was. And, and he didn't want to do it. And his servant said, well, if he had given you something hard to do, would you be happier about it? Amen. It's always the simple things, acts of simple obedience that'll get us the farthest. God never, he knows if he asked y'all something hard, boy, you'd really be, you'd be hard to live with then. So he gives us simple things to do. Amen. Just be thankful. Amen. Let yourself, <laughs> let yourself dare to give thanksgiving to the Lord. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We lift up our hands to heaven. We thank you and we praise your holy name. Without shame, without wrath or doubting, we lift up holy hands to heaven. And we honor you, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for giving us life. We thank you that you are God, that we have a God that we can go to. Thank you, Lord, for giving us friendship, companionship, blessing, all of the benefits of your covenant. We thank you for that, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. Is Shorty lift her hands up back there or is she faking me out? She playing with something. I thought you was worshiping, little girl. You'll get it, though. It's going to fall. We, Lord, we thank you. It's going to fall on her one day. In Jesus' name, amen. That's my little buddy. <clears throat> Praise God. Amen. Praise God. God is good. So yesterday we were speaking about uh, God's mercy means that he'll do it again. Amen. God's plan is that we he be a continual God to us, a continual source, a continual supply, and that we would expect it continually. That's what having a covenant means. It means that we have a continual source and supply from Almighty God. And and that's a blessing. Uh, you know, it's so often that the enemy wants us to think that God's done with us, tired with us. He's a hard taskmaster. Master. Now, God does expect obedience from us, but he moves us to perfection. His job is to perfect us. It's not our job to perfect ourselves. Amen. Now, we tried that before we knew the Lord, and we failed miserably. That's what made us surrender everything to God, the fact that we could not accomplish these things without his help. And without his direction. And so we're, we, we need to content ourselves with being children of God. Just being dependent on him, looking to him for everything, looking to him for direction and all of the things that we need. And so as we do that, then we're able to come to him, uh, based on, uh, what, what he wants to do instead of what we think we should do. Amen. So did we pray? I didn't. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the prophecy, for the words you gave us. We thank you, Lord, that we can open our hearts now to hear your word. Thank you, Lord. Give us attentive ears and, and open and receptive hearts. Give us hearts of understanding that we would seek understanding and that we would capture it and embrace it in a greater way. And we honor you for that, Lord, and we love you for it in Jesus name. Amen and praise God. Amen. 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 So praise God. Thank you, Lord. So, um, uh, when we were talking yesterday about the fact that mercy, um, 
means he'll do it again. We established that favor always follows mercy. Favor isn't automatic. You know, I think sometimes we, every, we, we go through this claim it exercise many times. Uh, you know, we start claiming things and, and uh, embracing them as ours. You know, <clears throat> many times people want to claim favor and, and that's good to expect it, but it's also good to understand that it, it is dispensed by God. Everything we get must come from His hand. Amen. You can't just automatically, uh, get anything from God. It came, it has to be released to you from heaven by faith. Once the faith begins to operate in your life, then always the things that we expect follow. And so uh, uh, favor tends to follow mercy. Mercy, we said, was given to the humble. Amen. There's a, a <clears throat> an established attitude that we need to approach God with so that we can receive mercy and and obtain mercy when we we have a need or uh, there's something that is not right in our lives uh in Isaiah 57:15 I think we were looking at that one yesterday so we'll turn there real quickly Isaiah 57 15 It says here, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. That's your God and that's my God. Amen. He says, uh, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So when we kind of like lower ourselves to assume a humble position, and we get out of our hearts the haughtiness and the what we demand and what we have to have, and we got to do this, and we or we're not happy, you know, we got to have. When we put aside those things, and see, when you humble yourself, that strips you. Of something, you know, um, uh, humility is different from humiliation. Humiliation comes at the hands of another. Humility is what we voluntarily do. So when you voluntarily humble yourself and you you strip yourself of of your ideas, your plans, your hopes, your dreams, all of that, and you come to God more or less empty-handed. Then he says, if you put away all that stuff that you usually carry, he said, then I'll fill it up with the right stuff. So really what it is when you go to God, when you humble yourself to God, he fills your hands up with the right things to desire. So he says he 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 dwells in the high and lofty place with those who are of a con. So see, having a contrite heart automatically elevates us to the place with God. And so when you see that elevation because of what we do, he is reviving us. So he takes, if we, if we let go of things we want, he has to replace it with something. 
So that's what he's saying here. He says, I revive your heart. So if you give something away for my sake, he says, I'm going to replenish that and elevate you in it. So you'll get more than what you ever gave up. You'll have more than what you ever thought you were letting go of. And and it's a challenge for some people. There's some people that really want what they want. You know, they can't see God giving it to them. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and this is the thing that we, this is why we have to rely on God's mercy to such a great extent. Because if you think of the mercy of God, that he looks down on us and he sees us struggling to get along with him or struggling to release things to him or struggling to forgive somebody over and over and over again, struggling to, to put aside what we think we want for right now for a blessing that would be greater in the future. Struggling to stay true to the prayer that we've begun to pray when we want to walk away from everything because we think it's not coming. You understand what I'm saying? So when he sees that and he says, well, I see your struggle. I, I know it's hard for you to have to conform to my uh my orders and my commands on your life. He said, I see the struggle, but if you'll stay with me in this, if you'll continue to walk with me in this, if you stay humble to my plan, he says, you automatically get revived in your spirit of elevation so that your hope increases, your joy increases, your love increases, your anticipation increases. He says, I look every day and I see you're up. You're, you're against a challenge. You're against a wall. You're against something. You feel this wall is immovable, but yet you humble yourself to me in this. He says, and I'm reviving you. He says, if you look, you'll see your spirit has joy now. Your spirit is elevated. Your spirit is with me in heaven. I place, and see, he said this under the old covenant. See? That was a promise. Well, you know, we know Isaiah many times speaks to the time when the Messiah would come. But still, he was able to bring joy to these people even under the old covenant if they would humble themselves to him. So he never takes anything from you without giving you something better. Amen. He he just wants us. You know, many times we're like small children in a way. You know, have you ever had make the mistake, parents, everybody's done this, you know, when you <laughs> you got a toddler at home or a couple of them, and you say, well, I'm not taking you to store today. You always mess up when I take you. Oh, mama, we'll be good. We be good. We be good. And you believe them. Huh? And you get them in the store and they turn into the same little devils they was the last time. So you give them something to, you know, like, hey, mom, I want this. You give them some, you know, jar of juice or something, and they hold on to it. And, well, let her scan it. We got to pay for it. And they take hand. You had you to slide baby and all across the scanner to get it. They won't let go of it. And then you try to open it. You got to take it from them to open it, and they fight you when it pops all over every. That's the way we are with our stuff. We don't want to let go of with God. You got me? We're holding on for dear life because that's all we know and that's all we got. And we're so afraid to trust him. God, if I let go of my end of the rope, 
Huh? Are you really going to do what your word says you're going to do for me? Amen. Do it with everything. Some of us are waiting for vindication. Uh, my advice to you is it might come in your lifetime. It might not. <laughs> Understand what I'm saying? Uh, that's not something you're supposed to savor. You're supposed to savor the things of God. Amen. He may not vindicate you in situations with people, but he'll bring peace. See, that's what he promises. He promises peace. Amen. He's not going to let you see him punish somebody for what they did to you or what you think they did to you. He's going to expect you to forgive them and love them. And that's as much as you can get out of the deal. And I would say that's a pretty good deal. Because if you forgive, then you get forgiven. So then mercy comes, abounds into your life. It comes into your life over and over and over and over again. So you get the abundance of mercy because you let go of, you know, sticking pins in in your voodoo dolls. (laughs) Of your third grade teacher. You understand what I'm saying? You get freedom from that. And you get blessed on top of it. So God just really wants us to be imitators of him. He wants us to act like he acts in all situations because that is the blessed life. That's the best life. That's the good life that he has prepared for us. So he gives grace to the humble. He teaches us to stay humble to him so that we can walk in unison with him and we can walk in covenant with him. From that place of humility and adoption in God, where he walks with you, you walk with him, and you are in agreement with him, you walk hand in hand with him, from that place then becomes comes the power to begin to command your life in the right order and see it line up perfectly with God's will. So really what he wants to do with us is revive us In that thing where you've been frustrated and upset and you thought this problem was immovable and you decide, you know what, God, I'm just going to forgive this situation. I'm going to forgive these people and I'm going to just continue to walk with you, whether I see any quote unquote improvement or not. What you want to see is yourself improve. So then he begins to revive you and bring new life into you that you never thought was there before. You never experienced it. Why? Because you wouldn't let go of what you thought belonged to you that you were holding so tightly to. Amen. And, and sometimes we do get caught in, in a, um, you know, in a quagmire, you know, you're like between a rock and a hard place and you don't understand why nothing's changing and nothing's moving. And sometimes there's an attitude in us that needs to snap that, that cord that's holding us in a situation just needs to be broken. You know, it needs a snap so that and you, it does that by you humbling yourself to God and saying, God, well, I'm not just not going to seek justice here anymore. I'm not going to seek change here anymore. I'm just going to let you have it. Amen. And really mean it and, and forgive that situation. That's how you let God have things. You have to do it through forgiveness. Amen. And so it, it's, it's incumbent upon us if we want to live the blessed life and the blessed and the best life is to walk in humility towards God all the time. We can always receive his mercy and then we'll see miracles repeated in our lives. 
you'll see them over and over and over again. And we won't be waiting forever for something to change so we can get happy. You understand what I'm saying? And, and let, let your life and your, the fruit of the spirit in your life, it's on hold because you're looking at something you think it's supposed to change and it doesn't change right before your eyes. And so God wants us to go deeper. He doesn't want us to be situational and circumstantial believers. He wants us to ride in the high places with him all the time and to be in that place of walking in the heavenly places with him and seated with him where we can govern over the things of the earth. He has much greater and better things for us to do if we would only recognize it and realize that, that, that God has that place for us. But we have to get that place through, through obedience, through seating ourselves there, through humility, through allowing God to strip us of all of the things that would separate us from him, all the entrapments and snares and all of that stuff. Just just forgive it and let it go. God, you know, I forgive this situation. It's a bad situation. I'm not enjoying it. But you know what? I'm going to forgive this whole situation. And I'm going to forgive the people involved in it. And I'm going to let you revive my spirit now. Just bring me up there with you. So that I can be seated in my proper place in life and learn how to maintain your position there. Don't let the enemy come and drag you down. Amen. His, his greatest fear is a Christian that can't be moved. You understand what I'm saying? And he doesn't want you to experience that life of humbling yourself to God so that you won't be moved by circumstances. Cause he, his, his greatest joy is to keep moving us around. Amen. Telling us it's not going to come and who you think you are. God ain't going to give you that. You know, he's going to take more faith than what you putting out there. Huh? And all you got to put out is the measure. You put out what you got. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, you know, I would go to God sometimes and I say, well, I don't know if my faith is doing it. He said, well, give me what you got. Huh? Can you do more than that? Huh? When Jesus would tell the disciples, you know, make, make evaluations and what well, you, you could call it criticisms of their faith. He had to let them know what the problem was. And he would talk about great faith, little faith. It wasn't the amount amount. It was where it was. See, you put your faith in God one minute and you move it the next. It's back over in the natural. And if you don't think you do that, look how easy it is. Look at what Peter did. He was out on water in supernatural faith. He was in the faith of God. But then he moved it back over into the natural realm. Huh? And Jesus looked at him. He said, well, why did you doubt? Little faith means natural faith. Amen. If you put your faith in the natural, that's little faith. If you put it in God, that's great faith. And many people he would test to see if they would move it back into the natural and they left it in God. And he said, I've never seen, i never seen no faith like this. No, not in Israel. 
Because when he would see, see the faith, your faith has to be tested where it goes. In times of trouble, we all want to dial 911. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm not saying don't do it. It may be necessary, but you call on the name of the Lord. First, you dial H-E-A-V-E-N before you call anything else. You understand me? And so God wants us to keep our faith in him because that faith won't fail. Natural faith will always fail you. That's why he's trying to teach us how to keep our faith in him. And then the devil comes along and he's prodding you to move your faith out of God. Why? Because he knows you'll defeat him if you leave it there. So he's always coming up to it. ain't going to happen. Oh, you think God is going to do that for you? Look at what you did. Huh? Oh, devil, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's better than serving you. I know that much. I ain't going to come back over there and serve you again. I don't care if I got chump change faith. I'm leaving it right here in God. Hmm? Leaving my little bit right here. And see, that's what makes it great faith. Because you're resisting the devil with it. He hates that. See, a lot of times he'll test saints. He'll come up and, and poke you and try to get you to move. If you resist him, he'll do like, uh-oh. Huh? See, that's what you want. See, what you do is is you don't move the first time he pokes you. And that scares him. Know what the Bible says? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he runs like a terrified. Huh? But he has no choice. He has to come back and and prod you again. Because he always thinks it's going to work this time. And then he'll poke you and and you don't move. And he has to shrink back. And you think, oh, I better quit messing with her on this because she must mean it. See? He hates it. See, he would rather get you to move the first time and he can push you around and lead you around than to have you resist him and stand against him one time. Once you stand against him, then you know and he knows it ain't working. Amen. It's like the bully down the street. You thought you had to go get your big brother, big sister, big somebody. Until that day the bully and all his friends caught you on the corner and you didn't have no choice. Amen. My daddy used to tell us, he said, fight like them ugly girls out there. And we go, oh, daddy, no, not, not the face, nothing. Huh? He said, fight like it's your last fight. Said, go crazy on somebody. You understand what I'm saying? And see, if you'll do that to the devil the first time he tries you, he won't come back anymore. Cause he'll realize you've got greater resistance the second time than you had the first time he tried you. Because God has to give you more once you've, you've been challenged and you, you withstand the challenge and resistance. He's got to give you more. That's how faith operates. Once you let it meet that that prodding of the enemy where he tries to get you to move off of what you believe. He wants you to change your mind, change your confession, change your heart. 
back to where it was when he used to push you around all the time. Huh? But just like the bully on the corner, it's like, devil, you picked the wrong one, the wrong day, and the wrong situation. Because you don't know how bad I want this. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You just pulled the wrong number today. Because I'm not wavering, I'm not moving, and I'm not going to question God and ask him what's wrong with me and how come in there. Well, I'm not going there today, devil. I'm taking a day off from the dumb stuff. And I'm going to stand on the word of God and I'm not going to be wavered. Amen. You're not going to move me. And so once you you get in that mode as far as uh, what God puts in your heart, you humble yourself to him. He revives you on the inside and gives you more than you ever gave up. He gives you more than you thought you had. He gives you more. He has so many ways to help get the things into your life that you desire to have. Ways you haven't even thought of before. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, There's so many opportunities for God to bless us. You know, we have no idea. And so, but once you humble yourself to him, then he can open up those avenues. He can open up those doors. You know, I would tell people all the time if if they were struggling financially or they were looking for things, I said, your problem really is not money. Your problem is faith. Problem is, do you really trust God? Because if you trust him, you'll command money. Hey! I like this God. See, everything you thought was a big deal. I'm waiting on, you know, I got to get some. I guess this is coming now. Well, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can afford that. No. Your problem is faith. Because you're expressing doubt. You don't know. You don't have to know. All you have to do is believe. Things will change. If you believe, the devil likes to keep us under pressure so that, you know, if he keeps you wound up and scared and and fearful and thinking fearful thoughts about your future and about your present, he can steal your future from you. So really, all God wants you to do is continue to believe him and he will start to move the things into your life that are necessary for your happiness. But you got to humble yourself to God and just divorce yourself from circumstances, looking at what's going on and, you know, your mind telling you it's not going to happen and, uh, you know, you want too much and you ain't going to get this and all this. God already has you on the road to receiving everything you need. Devil's trying to push you off. You know, for anxiety and, and impatience and all of those things that drive us. God wants us to sit with him and be at peace. Amen. And just look at, he said, look at, look at the universe from where I'm sitting. Look at the world. Your little problem is that little speck. They look way down there. That's you way down there. And that thing you think is so big is that little speck that I see. And your faith is much bigger than that thing is. Amen. So God wants us to humble ourselves to him. He resists the proud. If you are determined that you can't be peaceful because this ain't right in your life and that's not right in your life and you don't have this yet and you don't have that yet, 
you're just going to be there. But if you'll humble yourself and say, God, I have no, you know, what was it? Hezekiah said, we have no might and power against this thing. Huh? This one is way too big for us. But our hope is in you. See, your hope is in the mighty God. And your hope is that he will be merciful to you yet again. And if you stay humble to him, he will, he will be merciful to you. That's all you need is to have that place in God where you say, God, you know what? I'm, I'm going to let this go right now because I've made a mess of it. I'm all confused about it. Nothing's right about it. Everything's wrong about it. So I'm just going to let it go. I'm sorry I made such a mess of everything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And and just expect then him to show you mercy. Mercy then will open up doors of favor and blessing to you. You know, your first mercy will be to get peace with God. Amen. That's That's your first thing that you need. You need to be able to not be moved out of your position of peace. Amen. Just let peace reign. And, and, you know, people say stuff like, well, I, I, you know, I, I just don't worry about, I'm wondering if that means I don't care. No, that means you cast your cares on him. They're in the right place now. Amen. Your cares are in the right place now. He said, cast them on me. I care for you. Huh? Cares drive people nuts. Drives them to do nutty things. Amen. Drives them to get in more trouble. Caring about stuff. That means worry. It doesn't mean that you're, you, you don't have any desire for things to be right anymore. It just means you don't carry the burden of having to bring it to pass. That's what we're thinking. We're thinking we've got to do something to make it happen. All you got to do is believe God. Hold on to his word. Find an answer in the Bible. Find a promise there. And hold on to that. And then you'll begin to live like you have it already. Amen. You will. It'll be so real to you that it won't matter to you what what is going on in the situation. Amen. You know, before my husband was saved, I almost drove myself crazy. I said, look at him, look at him, look at him, look at him. Look at him. <laughs> Where's Jan? Oh, that's my girlfriend. Jan would call me. She thought random calling me just to see how I was doing. I was in trouble again. Get ready to blow something up, shoot something, throw something off the balcony or whatever. Huh? And I remember the day I let it go. And I thought to myself, I said, God, that's just ugly what I be doing like that. It just ain't right. You know, and then you want to go to God in prayer and say, oh, Lord, I thank you for this. <laughs> you need to get a smackdown when you show up there. Huh? And I remember the day I let it all go. And I started to be encouraged that my husband would really be a saved man. And I started to listen to God about what he needed. Where before it was all about what I needed. And really when you have the Lord, you got everything. But see, I let the devil trick me 
in the thinking, you know, I was, look at me. You know what I'm saying? All that nonsense stuff. You know, you, you have to watch the people you get around sometimes when you're like that. You know, this, you know, the, uh, the crying girl parties, I used to call them. Amen. All the girls get together and want to cry about. <laughs> I thank God he put me around people, women who were, had some backbone in God. You know what I'm saying? And, and they would tell me, oh no, you can't, you can't talk like that about your husband. You gotta love him. I said, ah, oh, I love him. And they said, nope. And they, they, you know, they corner me and say, mm-mm, that won't do. See, you can't fool people who had a Holy Ghost. Amen. And I thank God for that. You know, I thank God for people like Jen that would pray for me, you know, and, and, and was able to shift the way I looked at my life, shift my thinking, shift everything so that I could humble myself to God and not worry if that meant I was a, a, a you know, a doormat. You know, I, I used to hear that word so many times. I said, Lord, forgive me. I, I was like, was, I was hearing echoed what was in my mind at one time. You know what I'm saying? Uh, humbling yourself to God has nothing to do with, with man, except now you're able to love people, which is a shock sometimes if you've been used to being petty and hating and, and watching people. And you understand what I'm saying. Y'all know the works of the flesh. It becomes a shock to you that you could even live without have, have a day go by without being a victim in your mind. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and see, once you, you humble yourself, that's the elevation. See, that's the revival. He revives your spirit so that your spirit man is full of the fruit of God and you're able to look like God looks at things. You're able to feel like he feels and think like he thinks. All of that kind of stuff. And I began to see my husband the way God saw him. And I saw him as a man who was separated from God. And didn't know how to get there. And if I didn't quit being so hateful, he wasn't going to get there. You know, not with my help. (laughs) I'm just being real. And and this is what God has envisioned for all of us. You have the potential to live above your circumstances all the time, to ride upon the high places, to to trample over the things that used to oppress you. You can push them off of you now. Amen. And and do it in love and do it in the right spirit. Amen. So in Psalm thirty four eighteen, the one of the he he underst he honors a humble heart but also a broken spirit instead of a haughty spirit. If your spirit is broken, that means that you have have stripped off everything that speaks of pride. Amen. It doesn't mean that you're you're somehow damaged or something. Amen. Even though you might be, but but God looks at that. Amen. And a contrite heart, it means you're sorry for your wrongdoing and you want to do better. You know, it's kind of like we can be sorry, but if we don't get that in us that do better next time or God help me to stop this or help me to, 
be more considerate of other you know if you don't that's not contrition if you don't don't have that desire to correct that flaw amen because he does he wants us to be more like him so he wants to help us in correcting you you'd rather correct it than to do wrong and keep feeling bad over and over and over again that kind of makes you feel a little defeated so he wants to correct those things in us that cause us amen to do those things that that bring about that that feeling of guilt or or whatever you know so so he wants to elevate us in that so if we have a heart that that is sorrowful and wants to do better because of our sin then he can elevate us and revive us in that thing as well and he says i'll set up my dwelling with you when you're like that he said we we just like that all the time he said if you'll keep that humble spirit that broken and contrite heart if you'll keep that about you and be quick to repent, be quick to confess your wrongdoing. Amen. You got to own things sometimes. You know, you got to own them, not embrace them, but own them. Amen. It's like I own my car, but I ain't hugged up with it all the time. So, you know, you you take ownership, but you don't have to embrace it, make it a part of you. Amen at all times. And so this is, this is what God wants us to do. And once we start looking at ourselves in his mirror, we'll, we'll begin to see how wrong it is. See, if you want to skip over it all the time and, you know, make light of it, you'll never get over it. So you got to own these things. Confession means ownership, but confession also means that you put it out there and God can remove it from your life. See, if it's a bad thing, if you confess it, you own it. Yeah, God, I did that. That, That's me. I'm sorry. I see that now. I see what what I'm doing there. But also, he removes it from you, cleanses you with his blood. And if your heart is contrite, then you'll want to do better. You want to quit doing the same hurtful things, the same unpleasant things, you know, the same things over and over and over again. So then his mercy imparts to us all of the fruit of the spirit, all of the things that we need for a good life. We'll have holy expectation of good. We'll begin to understand how important and how blessed we are to, to really have his mercy in our lives. So mercy comes to us to revive us and encourage us in doing good, that we can break bad habits. That we can do good. That the things that we thought we couldn't quit all of a sudden are not a part of our lives anymore. That's mercy. Mercy brings about a deliverance to us that enables us to look back and see and and be thankful that God has delivered us. And sometimes you look and you say you wonder what the attraction was. Wonder what it was about it that kept me so. It was the way that you looked at it. Amen. You never saw it the way God wanted you to until you humbled yourself to him. You know, once you humble yourself to him, you get a totally different perspective on things. So when his mercy comes, it comes to impart uh strength to our spirits, encouragement to our hearts. God, when He hum- he has us humble ourselves to him, His purpose is not to disconnect us from his mercy, 
but to embrace us in mercy and begin to empower us and strengthen us. So you don't get up without coming down first. Amen. You, you've got to kneel at the foot of the cross and then he lifts you up. Amen. He elevates you. And so in the elevation is where the empowerment comes, the instruction comes, the encouragement comes. So we begin to rise up with him till we're seated with him in heavenly places. And then we live above that same thing that, that had you so ensnared and entrapped and you thought you, you weren't going to have a good life till God took care of that. Huh? All of a sudden you look at it as a small thing. You say, I can't believe I was so wound up about that for all those years. Amen. And so it, it's a good thing to understand how to be empowered by God. It, this new life comes to you through renouncing the old life. He can't put new on top of old. That what Jesus talked about, the wineskins. He said, new wine, the power of the Holy Ghost is poured in the new wineskin. That is your born again spirit. But you've got to have your spirit open to him before he can pour anything into it. Amen. He can't pour it. You can't hold on to hate and anger and in, in, Greed and covetousness and anger and jealousy and stuff like that. You can't keep that and get him too. Huh? You know, God's like, y'all will kill me if you, some of that stuff you get on. Woo. We ain't going there. You got to get rid of that first. Let me have it. I know it's your favorite toy. You like to play with. Tell everybody how mean they are to you, what they don't do to you, and all that. You, you That's your favorite toy. You got to let the toy go. Give me the binky. Huh? Cry all night, but you ain't getting it back. <laughs> God knows your potential. Many of the things that we're asking God to put into our lives, we destroy them if he gave them to us. Look at all the the people out there that assumed a, a ministry position or assumed, huh? Then they caught doing get to caught doing the wrong thing. There's a big scandal, and look at all those people. Some of those people never go back to a church at all. They're so broken and hurt, huh? So he would rather. Not give it to you in your current condition than to let it destroy you and other people too. Amen. We're talking about the power of eternity. And so God won't put that on an old wineskin. He won't put that on your old flesh nature. You got to be totally given over to him in order to wield that kind of authority and that kind of power. It is his good pleasure to give us power. Amen. It's his good pleasure. Cause he tells, he told everybody that showed up in Jerusalem, he said, all y'all go and wait for the power to come. He didn't select out any select people. So it wasn't for the good people and not for the bad people. It was for everybody. It was for everybody that showed up. So he wants to give us power, but he's not going to give us power to do harm to others or harm to ourselves. Amen. He wants us to be people who are submitted to him. You know, power can destroy things. You know, we are people of influence 
as believers. You can influence for good or for bad. You're, when, when God put a light in you and it's seen whether you think it's seen or not. Cause you're not in control of the light. He is. He wants it to, to be turned on all the time. But we've got to cooperate with him in that. Don't ever take the influence and the, the power that he gives you for granted. It's not to elevate you. It's to lift him up. Amen. And so we can't be grabbing the power back from him and wanting to feel wonderful about things among people and, and destroying things. See? He watches over that kind of stuff. He'll lift the anointing in a minute if he sees you getting too you understand what I'm saying? Start showing people what's underneath just to protect them. So so we have to really be careful. Amen. We have to be careful about these things because, and we want to be used by God most of the time. Till you get in self mode. Huh? <laughs> it's the truth. So just Consider your your only job is to maintain humility before God. Just stay humble to him. Enjoy him. Love his word. Obey his word. Do the things that are right in his sight. And you won't have any problem with your faith. You won't have any problem with doors opening to you. You won't have any problem with provision. You won't have any problem with anything. Amen. And resist the temptation to get impatient. And want to do things under your own power. Amen. It's then, then you got to have a, 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 what do they call them? Restoration team come in. Amen. To take care of your, your shipwreck that you just, your train wreck that you just caused. And so God, God knows who he has called and, and how he wants to use us and all of that stuff. So, so his mercy then is there for us to enjoy for us to uh, thrive under, for us to always be anticipating good from God because we know his mercy endures forever. You can always expect it if you do your part and stay humble to God in the right way. Amen. So in First uh, Kings 21, let me pick this up and get it over here where I can read it. God will change the course of your life just with one act on your behalf. And one act from you can change the course of your life in God. Because I think sometimes we get the impression that God is waiting for us to make some major change before he will afford mercy to us. But it will change in a moment's notice. He's just looking for one act of contrition out of us. So that he can then speedily bring things into our lives the right way. In Second Kings 21 and verse, let's see, where do we start? God begins to, to speak a prophecy over Ahab and Jezebel, which you know were two wicked people. They served the Baals. They didn't serve God. Ahab was under the influence of his wicked wife. Amen. And verse 27, it says, And it came to pass when Ahab heard these words, that he tore his clothes. So God had had the prophet prophesy to Ahab 
all of the things that the abominations and the destruction that would befall he and Jezebel. So it says in verse 27, it came to pass when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. Ever been like that? You know what went softly means? I'm nice to everybody. Now, how many of y'all, when you know you done done wrong and you're looking for God to be merciful to you, you strip yourself, you don't eat, you don't have no appetite, just pace the floor, praying, worshiping God, doing the best you can, forgive everybody, and then you be nice to everybody. Amen? That's what Ahab was doing. Amen? In verse 28, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab humbles himself before me? God knows when it's real and when it's an act. See, as wicked as this man has been all this time, one act of humility and contrition turned God's heart toward him to show him mercy. So he sends a prophet to him, and he says, Because he says, see how he humbles himself and because he humbles himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. In other words, he spares somebody who caused all the trouble, but he'll bring it in the next generation. So his kids will have to fight their own battles. So they'll have the kids will come and repent, too. They'll get the same treatment from God. But they're going to have to make up their minds to serve God. But God was bound by his word to forgive Ahab and cancel the judgment against him. So he allowed Ahab to live for a little bit. Amen. And then the evil that he had proposed for him came upon his children in the next generation. In Second Kings 22. See, this will help you out. You get stuck down a wrong road thinking God can't do anything for you or thinking it's too late or I've been like this all my life, or <laughs> which is a shame. But, hey, better late than never. Second Kings, what I say, 22 and verse 19. He says, because your heart was tender and you have humbled yourself before the Lord, When you heard that I spoke against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse and have rent your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, saith the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered into your grave in peace. In other words, nobody's going to come and murder you. Nobody's going to come and put you into any kind of discomfort all the days of your life because you just humbled yourself and turned back to me. See, this is the amazing power of humility toward God in the way he sees it. He's already prophesied all of this doom and gloom. And because this man turns his heart and humbles him and repents, he decides he's going to cancel all of that. All of that that he deserved all of a sudden gets canceled. It's the same thing in our lives. We can get a lot of stuff canceled if we'll just listen to God. You know, there are people that that served God for years and, and did something and got mad at people, left the church, that never come back again. How easy it is for them to 
come in a, with a contrite heart, dedicate themselves to God, and he'll cancel out all the stuff that they're facing. They stay on the outside when they should be on the inside because they just refuse to trust that God, if they humble themselves and ask God for forgiveness, he'll reinstitute them and he will get their life back on track again. Some people have been good servants of God and walk away because of one mistake. Just can't get it together to go back to God again. But how quick he is to cancel the judgment, to cancel the bad news, to cancel the bad time. Amen? Because we humble ourselves to him. It works. It works old covenant. It works new covenant. It works with everybody. But we've got to understand that God is merciful and we can trust him. If you don't trust him, you can't trust anybody. Amen? Amen. So Jonah, uh, turn to Jonah chapter one. <clears throat> Jonah was a prophet that, that understood the mercy of God to a certain degree. And you gotta be careful when you understand a little bit about God and don't have a whole picture. Amen. And how many of us have, have been like that? You know, you run off with, you get one prayer, one confession. Want something from God and think you got it all. Amen. You run off with it. So Jonah was given uh, explicit instructions by God to go to a, a town called Nineveh. It was really an Assyrian town. These were not Jewish people, but they were Gentile people. And But Jonah's history was that he had always prophesied to the nation of Israel. Amen. And and. He would always prophesy good prophecies. Um, Jeroboam II was the king of Israel during Jonah's time. And Jonah prophesied a lot of good things for Israel. Jeroboam was able to increase Israel's territory. That nation prospered under him. It expanded to almost double the size under the hand of Jonah's prophecy. So Jonah's accustomed to saying good words, pleasant words, getting good results, pleasant results. Many times when when prophets get popular, they think it's them. They'll start to own the prophecies. They'll start to own, try to own people through prophecies. You know, you see some things like I'm, I see sometimes people say things like, uh, they'll see somebody get promoted or elevated or get, uh, an answer from God or get a blessing or something like that. Or, and, uh, they'll say, yeah, I prophesied to them that they would get, huh? See, you didn't say nothing because you can't bring that stuff to pass. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I don't care what, how much good news it is. It wasn't your word, number one. It's not your power that's going to bring it to pass. And number two, you don't even remember if you said that or not. You know, I mean, if you're speaking by the Spirit of God, you, you kind of don't keep a file on, you know, you really don't. You don't keep a file on, on prophecies that you give people. Amen. And they'll start to own that word, you know, by reminding people, 
Remember when I, I prophesied to you about? I look at stuff like that. I said, people really are crazy, aren't they? Number one, I'd be too scared of God trying to own a word that he spoke and brought to pass. That's just theft. You understand what I'm saying? That, you know, you, you don't steal from God. Number two, he gets all the glory anyway. He's very jealous over the glory and over the power and over the, the, the praise that comes with an answer prayer. You have to be careful owning things. Yeah, it was probably her word. It came through her or whoever it was. And yeah, God honored that word. But more than anything, there was some obedience on the part of the person that got the blessing. I don't care how many words you drop on people. You can't make them come to pass. Amen. There's a lot more bigger than you. Just a messenger. Amen. That's like FedEx telling me, did you get that stuff I bought you from so-and-so, such-and-such? You ain't bought nothing. You just delivered it to my house. So Jonah is accustomed to, you know, he the man. They love him in Israel. He's always got a good word for the king. The king follows up in obedience to what Jonah prophesies, gets direction from God through him. And he's able to accomplish a lot of good things. So then God drops a different kind of word on Jonah one day. And this word is something that's not good news. And it's also something that's to a foreign people. And he'd he'd never been to, to Nineveh before. It's an important city. And it's a prosperous city. But the news is not good. And prophets had to be careful about messages and things because they would stone prophets if they didn't like what you said. See, it's not like it is now where everybody's a prophet. You go on Facebook. I don't know who this is for. You know, in my Bible, God told prophets what to say, told them where to go and told them who it was for. You didn't get no words like, I don't know who this is for. And so Jonah has to go and deliver this word that is, is, uh, will be a threat to the nation of Nineveh. If they don't obey the word, they're not going to get any blessing out of it. It would, could go bad for him. And he doesn't like these kinds of words. He likes being the man. He likes being the one with the good news all the time and people liking to see him come. He's not accustomed to going anywhere where people don't want to see him coming. Amen. And this is one of the the unfortunate things about prophecy is that God can train you on blessing type prophecies and encouragement type prophecies and all that. And then one day he'll switch it up just to test you and see if you'll be faithful to deliver a word. Amen. Because see, it's real easy to attach yourself ownership to what you're doing. Attach yourself ownership to the words that you give out. Attach yourself ownership. And God sees that. And he has his own way of correcting those things. So you can't say, oh, all glory to God, you know, and that stuff. No, God knows when he's getting glory out of you and he knows when you're about to step over the line. 
And so he has Jonah, he puts Jonah in a place where he has to be faithful over the word he delivers and not be so concerned about good, good favor, good reputation. Many times prophets were, were given offerings and given, given treasure. Oftentimes they were the wealthiest people in God's kingdom, as wealthy as kings and almost more so. Because it was, it was the custom for people to bring gifts when they wanted to present themselves to the Lord. You had to bring an offering. You had to bring a gift. You had to bring something and, and pray that it would be accepted by the man of God. And so people who wanted great favor brought big gifts. Amen. They, they, and so they would accumulate wealth. The school of the prophets was run that way. Because prophets were not really part of the priesthood where they were entitled to the offerings that were specified in the book of the law. You read Leviticus, it said, bring this animal for that, bring this for that, bring this. They weren't entitled to that. They lived on their own. They lived by faith. But many times they would accumulate great wealth because they were given a tract of land to live on, but they were expected by their faith to have provision for everything that was needed, not just for them, but the prophets in training, their children, their families, all of that stuff. So they had to make sure that they were receiving when there was an offering that was being made. They also had to be sure that they didn't take when God said not to take it. Because many times the gift can contaminate your gift. The gift that you're receiving from the hand of man can can contaminate and pollute your gift if it's not time to receive it. You got me? So we got people running around the body of Christ now who think it's all the time the time to, to take money from people. They'll cash app you. You know, if it's their, their birthday, they put the cash app up there. If you ask for a word, they put the cash app up there. So to some of them, it's always time to receive a gift. Huh? You know, when, when Naaman came to, to the prophet, his servant caught on to the fact that Naaman was a wealthy man. And remember the prophet sent word by the servant. Amen. To Naaman to give him instructions for how to get his healing, get rid of his leprosy. And so when he gave that message to him, he noticed the prophet wasn't around. But the prophet had already told Gehazi, don't take anything from him. So Gehazi gives the instruction, Naaman, God heals Naaman after he obeys him, dips in the water. And then Gehazi sees the prophet isn't around and he follows after Naaman and tells him, he said, oh, you know what, bro, wait a minute. Now, I told you at first that the man of God said we didn't want nothing, but he changed his mind. We want stuff now. So Naaman said, hey, you know, take what you want. He gave him, he gave him double of what he was really asking for. Amen. So Gehazi takes it, goes back to the prophet and, and says, the prophet asked him, where you been? And he told, you know, told him some line. He said, did my heart go with you when you left here? My spirit followed you. 
See, when you're learning from somebody, you're connected by their spirit. They're for a godly reason. Amen. God can reveal to them when you're in trouble. See, you like that when you need money or something and it suddenly comes in. They prayed for you. But see, we don't like it when we up to naughty. Amen. And we don't want to know. So here Gehazi's up to naughty and doesn't want it known. Well, the prophet says, reveals to him, I saw you took this stuff from this man. Amen. But he said to Gehazi, he says, is it time to receive a gift? You so smart. Is it time for us to be receiving money and wealth and things from this man? Amen. You tell me what God's instructed. See, there's some things, even though you're working close to a prophet, God is not going to tell you. He tells you what's your business. He tells the prophet what's theirs. But he's not sharing everything with you. And sure enough, that stuff that Naaman took from, from I mean, Gehazi took from Naaman was full of leprosy. And he caught leprosy off of it. So the same leprosy that Naaman was cured of came upon Gehazi. Why? Leprosy is a very contagious disease. See, the priests were accustomed to dealing with it all the time. But Gehazi wasn't a priest. He was a prophet's servant. And so he had no clue how to judge if somebody, you know, he just saw the man was cleansed, but he didn't know all these contamination rules. Well, the priests knew that stuff. They know you don't touch nothing. You burn it all up. And they know how to put it under quarantine until it was established it didn't have any germs on it that were, but that's a highly contagious disease. So Naaman, I mean, uh, Gehazi caught it because he didn't know it wasn't time to take a gift. There's a lot of people running around here taking gifts out of season and from people who should not be giving because they're not mature enough to know how to expect the prophet's reward and what to expect as a result of their giving. Which you never hear any of them prophet, promising any. They just take it. You understand what I'm saying? You know, watch yourself with that stuff. Stay in your Bible. You won't be chasing down nothing from nobody. Amen. So, so Jonah, instead of going, getting on a boat to Nineveh, going on the way to Nineveh, he decides he just ain't going to put it, he going to pass on this one. Amen. Anybody ever want to pass on a job God gives you to do? A lot of people. We like doing the easy stuff. We like doing the stuff that makes us known and makes us all this and all that. Spotlight, you know, the highlight. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise God. I like people who don't like the spotlight but can make other people look good. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you can get just as much joy making somebody else look good. Amen. As being in the spotlight yourself. So Jonah decides he's not going to go to Nineveh. Amen. He's going to set off where is that Joppa that was that he goes to. He thinks he's going to go there. Uh, no, he wanted to go to Chop Tarshish. So he gets, he goes to Joppa and gets a boat to go to Tarshish. And you know the story. He gets on there. He goes to sleep. God lets him think he's safe. Huh? You ever been like that? 
you do something you suspect is wrong, know it's wrong, know it ain't halfway right. You've been expecting God to come after you and it passes. And you think you made it. Amen. He didn't see that. Or he gave me a pass. Amen. And so all of a sudden, a storm breaks out on the ship. Jonah's so peaceful asleep that they have to come and wake him up. You know, it alarms the other sailors on the ship. But, but Jonah is sleeping peacefully in the bottom of the ship. And so these men wake him up because they've been praying all night and no change. So they don't have the right God. And they figure out that it's him, this guy that we got down there. They're mad at him because he's not praying too. You tell them, you get up and you call on your God. We're calling on God, but it's not doing us any good. And so Jonah then wakes up and he confesses to them who he is, tells all the truth. Amen. You ever notice when people are awakened out of a deep sleep, it's hard for them to lie? Amen. They they get up and he starts babbling, telling the whole truth. He's coming out of his sleep coma. Amen. And he prays to his God. He knows what the situation is. He says, I've been caught. And I've got some other people in trouble. But but this is how mercy works. Jonah is so mercy-oriented in his understanding of who God is. He's willing to ride the, the rail of obedience and disobedience. He's willing to take a chance. You know, God's so merciful, he's not going to do nothing to me. Because I usually do his will. I usually do everything right. But God breaks Jonah of assuming anything out of him. God, Jonah understands that, that he is the problem and he wants to spare these men. So God's mercy that resides in Jonah works to spare the lives of everybody else on the boat. And he says, throw me over because my God is merciful. You can throw me in the ocean. And if I die, I die. But if I don't, God will bring me back. You understand? He knows he, he serves a merciful God. See, it's good to know a God of mercy, but it's also good to, to obey God too. And not assume anything because you know God is merciful. So jo- Jonah then eventually winds up, God swallows him up in a fish. He repents after three days and nights. Sometimes things don't reverse as quickly as you want to. Amen. God's got to show you something different this time. Amen. He's got to show you what befalls people who disobey. Because Jonah didn't know anything about disobedience. He just assuming God's going to do what he always does. Amen. In the end, he wound up doing what he always does. Because Jonah did go to Nineveh. He did preach to that city. And those people did repent. But God wanted to show Jonah something. He wanted to show him the other side of obedience. How to prophesy to people to convince them to turn around and serve him. Which Jonah never knew anything about that. There's prophets out here now that think all God wants to do is promise people money, cars, all kinds of things. They don't think God is going to do anything if people don't repent and live right. So we need more live right prophets. To balance the goody goody people. That's why people run after prophets. They're looking for what they want to hear. And God will allow you to hear what you want to hear up until a season. Like he did with Jonah. 
all of a sudden Jonah found himself in a rocking boat that was going where he didn't want to go and was not sure if he would ever get there. And God is going to do that, folks, with words that he's beginning to pull out of the mouths of people. Why? Because there's so much hell in the earth. People are so wicked. People like wickedness. And who's going to warn them of the wrath to come? Amen? It's not that God's promising them judgment, but there's always that warning out there that it could come. Why would he keep promising us houses and money and cars if the earth won't be here to enjoy it? So he's got to heal the land before we can get to enjoy many of the things that we think we want a prophecy for. Amen. So we have to learn how to expect correction at the hand of God. And when those people in Nineveh repented, everybody from the king down to the animals, to the pets, to the parakeet was in sackcloth and ashes. Amen. He told everybody. Nobody's excluded. And he decided they were going to get serious about living for God and turn away from their wicked ways. And God spared that city. And he said there was there was tons of people living there. Now, a, a person who's full of God's mercy, why would he want to see those people destroyed? But Jonah had that in his heart that he didn't want to see those people repent and live. So God had to show him something too. Amen. So he does a total work and a total job. I'm telling you, God is able to revive us if we'll humble ourselves to him. He's able to clean up our act, clean our clock, get us right on the inside. Amen. And if you humble yourself, he'll do it peaceably. But if not, You know, you'll have to see some things from him to convince you that he means what he says. So he wants to treat all of his kids with mercy and with kids' gloves. But the rebellious ones in the house, he wants them broken, contrite, and humble before him as well. Amen. He doesn't want to leave anybody out. Praise God. Why don't we stop? Father, thank you for your word and thank you, Father, for understanding. Thank you for goodness and mercy at your hand. Thank you, Lord, that your hand is full and you want to release it to your children. You want to bless us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and empower us to command our lives with our own words, Father. That's what the confession of faith is for. It's for us to be able to decide in our hearts the things we desire and to let our words go accordingly and produce good things in you. So, Father, I thank you for everything that you've done in us and for us today. I thank you, Lord, for blessing us and keeping us, being the God that loves us, cares about us, and will do everything that we desire to have God done in our hearts. So, in the name of Jesus, I bless your people, and I thank you for them. So, we're going to do the touch again today. We're going to touch everybody with the power of God before we leave. I want some of you to stretch your faith now and begin to believe God for things that you think are impossible. You want to see it happen today. You want to see, let that, when God touches you, let that be your point of contact for receiving the things that you have thought are impossible to receive 
or receiving things that you've been a little reluctant to ask for because you've been living with them for such a long time. You understand what I'm saying? Stretch yourself out of the comfort zone where you usually live and allow God to come in and begin to do things that you never thought possible before. Amen? You never thought possible. 